Okay, today I'm in the uh, Star Sports Mayfair shop with Tony Laws. But Tony, you work at the Star Sports shop in Woodley, and they tell me you've just celebrated your 80th birthday. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Never thought I'd make it, but we did. Now, you've been in the industry for how many years? This is my 55th year. I started in 1966. Okay, so um, is it better now than when you started? I would say no, a definite no, and that's for quite a few reasons. So what, what are the reasons? What do you well, mainly um, it's all computerised. Back in the early days, I was trained to do a job of work, learn the settling, and uh, that's all gone. It's taken a lot of the interest away, but I still love the game. Okay, that's with the old formulas and stuff. Yeah, that's right, that yeah. Explain yeah. a bit about how it used to work. Yes, yeah, so y you had um, you had a, a pen and you had a pile of bets, and uh, the the idea was to mark off the bets, preferably scrub them out if they were losers. But then you had to settle them. And my first year in the business, um, I, I learned settling, and that was the best year of my life, really. Okay, now when betting shops first started. 1961. Yeah, so you started in them just after, just, just after five that. years after. So yeah. what for the, for the younger people amongst us? <laughs> Everybody's young. Yeah. What were, what were they like? Because they're not like this salubrious place now, are they? Were they? No. In the old days, um, when I first started, we had board men, and their job was to put the prizes on the board and then jot the results down. Um, I mean, now everything's computerized. It's in, in, to me, it's an entirely different world. And in my opinion, not one for the better. Okay, but also, what people may not know is you weren't really encouraged to hang around in them, were you? No, no, people used to tend to come in, place their bets, then go. In Reading, um, as you said earlier, I worked for Dick Branson for 30-odd years. And we were lucky then. It was the start of the N4 motorway. And we had all the Irish navvies might to the end of work on a Friday come in with their bets and they, they were the good old days yeah people getting paid in cash yes and going in the pub. everything was cash yeah. Yeah. yeah so you have you in all those years you worked in betting shops have you ever known a regular I don't mean somebody's got a Yankee up but a regular winning betting shop punter to be honest no every punter each in their turn has their little bits of luck but no real consistency. Okay, was there ever any, you hear about somebody walking in with a suitcase and uh, they've unloaded it all and they've won a fortune and you've never seen them again, any of that sort of thing went on? It did go on, but I, I, I wasn't involved with it. I, I certainly didn't see a, anything like that. Okay, now you mentioned Dick Brunton. So he was a bookie uh, betting shops in Reading and the surrounding areas. Reading and Bristol. Yeah, so what was what was his background? Was he like an illegal bookie before it all started, or a racecourse bookie? Or? No, he had a, a sweet shop. Um, sorry, Dick, perhaps I shouldn't say this, but um, and I don't know for sure, but I think he took a few bets over the counter, which started him off. In the end, he finished up with 10 shots in Reading, and I think it was uh, probably four in Bristol. Right. And a very good man to work for. You just apologised to him, so he's still knocking about, is he? Oh, he's still around, yeah. You still see him? No, no. We, we send Christmas cards each year. Right. Now, you, I was told, my research was wrong, I was told you had a betting shop. 
But in our little chat before we started doing this, you um, put me right, you had five betting shops. In total, yeah. Not all at the same time. Um, over a period of, um, I suppose, about 15 years. I started off um, in a shop uh, in partnership with a guy in uh, Wallingford. And we had two shops, of which I was the partner. And I was there five years, uh, sold my share, and then I went on to buy other shops. Okay, so what, that was after you finished working for Dick? I started working with Dick, left Dick, and then I went back to Dick in the early 2000s, or late, yeah, 1990 to 2000. Right, so how did it come around? How did you um, suddenly decide to take the plunge to go in with your mate and buy these, buy these shops? Did you have a windfall or something? Was it? No, um, the, the chap's name was Eric, and uh, he, he, put up, he bought the two shops, and, but we were on a 50-50. Well, it wasn't 50-50, I was 49, he was 50, and I think the accountant was, had 1%. It was, as you sort of add them and got rid of them, but was working in one easier than owning one betting shop? I, in the partnership, I, I enjoyed going into work every day. Every day was different. It was exciting. You didn't know who you, you were going to meet, what type of bets you were going to get. Um, my biggest uh, worry was uh, we laid a bloke, um, a horse called Dancing Brave in the Derby, and uh, we laid a thousand eight to one, which in those days was a lot of money. And um, Greville Starkey rode uh, Dancing Brave, and he was right at the back of the field, but you could see him gradually coming through, and he just got pipped on the line. So that was a massive relief. Poor Greville got a lot of stick for that, didn't he? Yes, you remember. I do. You're too young. Well, thank you. (laughs) The money's in the post. Um, Now, it's interesting that you should mention about that, because I'm interested in, you get punters come in, you say some of them have their lucky days. So what would would be the, if somebody's come in and had like a pound Yankee, and the first one's one at 33, the next one's one at eight to one, at what point do you start hedging? Because of course, when you start hedging, then you're, it's costing you money because they've Absolutely. only had 22 quid on, haven't yeah. they? So yeah. what, give us a little bit about what the procedure would be in the old days. You've got two good price winners rolling up. What would you, what would you do? Well, the th- first thing we do is look at the, other two, at the prices of the other two horses. Then, assuming they're going to be that price, work what the bet's going to come to, and then you hedge accordingly under your, your limits. When I started at, um, in Wallingford, we did have limits of 10,000. But um, if you didn't want to cost you 10,000, then you pick the phone up and went out. Right, so you'd use the limits as, you, as your target sort of pricing because I suppose the more you have on, the, would you like to do a double the last two? You'd have to do a double, yeah. 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 Okay, now did you ever work on course? I did, yes. When I first started, I worked in the credit office in Reading and it was uh, owned by two bookmakers called Turner and Aidy. And at that time, they were two very large on-course bookmakers. And their son, Derek, ran the office. And that's where I first started the business. To, um, prior to joining them, I, I sent away for a, a ready reckoner so that I'd have some knowledge of it. And um, I placed this ready reckoner on my desk and the door opened from the main office and 
this big towering boat looked over me. What's that? I said, oh, it's a Ready Reckless, sir. He said, come with me and bring that. And we went into his office and he had a big bureau and he looked at it, just flipped the pages, put it in the bureau and he said, you won't see that again. Now he said, get back in that office. Derek will teach you the mathematics. Oh. And that's how it all started. And how long did it take teach you to um, how long did it take you to master them? I wouldn't say I was bright by any means, but uh, that that side of mathematics did uh, I, I enjoyed. So I, I think within three months I knew most of the shortcuts and settling. Okay, so when you went when you went on course to work, where where was the first time you worked on course? I worked at Swindon Greyhounds with Derek Hady. Uh, he had a pit chair and um, he invited me over one night uh, have a look around. Then he said, uh, do you want to be a floor man for the night? I'll pay a few bob. It's all in the back pocket. And uh, I, I began his uh, being a floor man for him. Then a little while after that, I'd done the book. And then that was it, basically. But I, I, I also, uh, I can remember, I went to the Derby... I think it was 1982, and uh, I made a book. It was on a Wednesday then, uh, on on what they call the downs. Other bookmakers all all around you, and uh, taking bets. There was a, a black woman came up to me, and I didn't think she had any money at all, but she wanted this horse, and she had a big pair of boobies, and she well she didn't flash them, but she put her hand down brought out a pile of notes and put it on this horse. Lovely jubbly. you remember if it won? It lost. It lost. Yeah. Now you said about, your, when you were taking the bets on the telephone in the credit shop, yeah. would you have had like a field book? Yes. So you learnt to clerk and that was the same as it yeah. was on course pretty much? What happened was uh, there were three receptionists, I being one of them, and the idea was you took the bets and then you settled the bets, all three of you, and at the end of the day, you should get the same results from each settler. Derek, who ran the office, he ran the field book and uh, he jotted down everything so he could see where the liabilities were. Right, so going, so going from there to on course wasn't quite as difficult as it would be for anybody no, that never no. done it. Now, you mentioned being a floor man. Now, this is going to be watched by people 100 years' time, hopefully. So, explain to us what the job of a floor man was. Right, okay, the floor man, uh, you've, you've got the bookmaker on the stand and you've got his clerk. In those days, it, that there were no computers, right, and recording all the bets in the field book. And the floor man's job was, firstly, A, check the prices on the other boards, any changes that, that your bookmaker know, um, help with the cash, take in the cash, count in the cash after each race, uh, check in that it's all there. Uh, they were good old days. Uh, really sad to see uh, Slough go. Now, I suppose the prices at the Greyhounds, you wouldn't have needed to know your fractions very much, would you? Fractions were very important. And in those days, wh whether it be the race course or a dog track, <clears throat> you had um, like 100 to 7, which in this 14 and 2 sevenths. But now it's rounded down to 14 to 1. So in a way, we are cheating the customers a bit. 107, 106, 108, all old fractions. And anybody watching this, if you go to a race course and ask for them, you still get them. 
mostly. I'm not sure on that. Well, like you do, you do. You ask, you ask for the fractions. They won't like it, but they'll be grudgingly oh, right. give you them. Right. Okay. Thank you. All right, Tony. We talked in the first part about how you got into the game, a little bit about you know your various jobs. Now, I'm told that you had a stint, but you've told me since it was like two decades as yeah. an on-course bookmaker at Wokingham Whippets. That's correct. Now, first of all, for people that don't know, explain what Whippets are. Right, Whippets are smaller versions of Greyhounds. Very, very fast. And um, I got invited to Wokenham Town Football Club by Roy Merriweather, who was uh, the manager. Uh, at that time, they only had one bookmaker there. And his odds were outrageous, to be honest. Um, he, he would go five, five uh, Whippets in a race. He would go four to six each of two, even money. Six to four and two to one. It was absolutely taking the mickey out of the customers. And uh, I had a word with Roy and I said, look, we can do a lot better than this. And so he invited me there as a bookmaker. So you were extremely popular with the incumbent bookmaker then when you went, uh, when you turned Very, up. very popular indeed. So what, did, it, did you have any words? What happened then? No, no, no bad words. I think he knew that he was literally daylight robbery. So how many people would go to these meetings? We would get uh, on a Friday, it was every Friday evening, and uh, it, it ran between May and November. Nice summer evening, you'd get 150, 200. And of course it was a football club, so a lot of the footballers who liked to bet, they, they were there. Oh, so it was actually in, in the... In it the was in the grounds of the... Got you, yeah. got you. Okay, because yeah. um, I think people, a lot of people associate whippet racing with more up north. Than, they uh, do, yes. Yeah. So did you have any interest in whippet racing before you got no, involved? None at all. So how did you, how did you not get tucked up? I mean, did the odds stand right. after themselves? That, that's a very good question because I did, did get tucked up many times. In the early days, the first month, uh, I went there every Friday. I knew nothing about it. The customers did. They had their it, it was uh, they had their own whippets, and uh, I, I lost quite a lot of money. And I thought, Tony, if you're going to survive in this, you've got you've got to get clued up. So they run a Sunday club, and I decided to join it. And I bought a stopwatch, and I did my own timing of the whippets, and graded every whippet. That gave me as much knowledge as them then. And from then on, it's, things went up and up and up. So was there any like official form that you, you could buy? Did you have to do it all yourself? Was it all um, you know, your own eyes and ears? Well, um, programs for, the, for each night's racing uh, were given to us. Roy used to put his comments and his prices, but then from on, it was what I decided to put up on the board. Then after that, of course, it's money that dominates what the prices are going to be. Have you got any idea why they decided to have whippet racing? Because surely if greyhound racing is already established everywhere, that it would have been easier just to have greyhounds. Well, first and foremost, uh, from Wokenham Town's foot, football club's point of view, it was a means of raising revenue for the club. That's how it all started. And Roy Merriweather, um, he had an interest in whippets. And that's why they started it. And when did it end? I got out, uh, I started in 77, 97, and Wokenham Town Club, didn't, uh, it closed not long after that. 
and the ground was redeveloped for housing. I think Whipper Racing did take place after that, but I, I, I wasn't involved with it. And what sort of what sort of business was it? What sort of money would you take? Perhaps I shouldn't say this, but we a range of money bets, pound bets, ten pound bets, twenty pound bets. I even had little kids. Their parents sent them out fifty pence on this, a pound on that, and I said I shouldn't have taken it, but. We did in those days. We will point out that times have changed, haven't they? Now, that <laughs> yes. wouldn't happen now, viewers. Um, were there any professional punters that used to, t- you know, would win at the whippets? No, no professionals. They had what they call coups going on every now and again, once or twice a year. But often, uh, I was told about it and uh, took the likewise action. Yeah, because if there was only two of you there, was there ever any more than two bookmakers? Yeah, there was. Uh, uh, towards the end, the, the, it became three. Yeah, it's handy for you to hedge as well if you needed to. I never hedged. You never hedged at no, all? No. So did you have your full up limit if everybody wanted to be on the same dog? I had a very good clerk, and if he went like that, it meant over and book. It didn't matter what, what one. Right. So I was always looking for that sign. Yeah. I'd worked <coughs> for a race course before that used to say, come on all of you, come on all of you when, they, when he was over us. Uh, right. um, so you, you worked for an on-course you worked for on-course bookies at the races how often was that did, did, that was that a massive difference of course from the uh, whippets could you repeat that Sorry. yeah you worked for you said you worked at Epsom and places how often that, did that you was work for myself yeah how often, how often did you work on course at the horse racing uh, not, not very often at all I've probably done it six times altogether okay now you've been in the industry since 1964 you said six. Si- 1966 so what's kept you in it for so long Firstly, I always get a buzz going to work. Even now, at 80 years of age, I still get that little feeling inside. Not so much as it used to be, but I still get it. Uh, What's kept me in it? Um, While my brain's still working, and the girls that I work with might think that it's not working very well at times, um, because they are so good on computers. But while that's still working, and while I, I can go out and meet people and talk to people, that's, I, I should keep going. I'm going to die on the job. Take that whichever way you want. <laughs> now, how do you feel? You mentioned your customers, and I'm told that you make your, cust- your like friends to your customers. Now, I used to work on course, and I used to have a bit of a bit of an issue with it because you'd like the people that were coming up for a bet, especially you know some of them come up three, four hundred pound. You'd like them, but of course you also wanted their money because that was what I was paying your wages. So, how do you? compartment how do you put that I can't think of the word how how do you settle that in your mind well first and foremost uh, we're talking about betting shops now the customers that you come in your shop it's my opinion that that they're not the enemy they're trying to win your money yes but you should be polite and friendly to them at all times make friends with them have a laugh with them and they hopefully come back Okay, so what you like? You say you're going to work with a, the, that feeling every day. You love it. You've got a sparkle in your eye. I can see this when you're talking about it. <laughs> what, what's the worst part of the job? Is there a worst part? For me, yes, computers. But they're here to stay, so it's either get used to them or get out. And um, I'm getting used to them very, very slowly. Is that because you think it's taking the skill away from what you... It's taken, anybody can do it now, whereas before only people that were trained could do it. It's taken away the job that I was taught. 
but they've been in there for probably 15, 20 years, and I've still not used them. No, this actually, I've just thought of this. So when you started, it was pounds, shillings, and pence. It was. So that must have been yeah. quite tricky, clerking, even trickier than it would be now. I suppose it's a, a lot easier now, yes, but it, it was the currency that it was in the day. So that's the worst part. What's the best part? The best part of? The best part of your job. Going into work every day. That, as I said, it does give me a buzz. Opening those shutters up, welcoming me first customers, and yeah, it's great. Do you still, um, do you still have, sort of have to keep your eye open for known shrewdies or people that you think might be putting on bets for clever people, yes. that sort of thing? Yeah, this does happen. Not so much these days, but I, I've been, well, before Star Sports uh, bought the shop, it was run by uh, Lewis Cowan. And more so in those days, uh, you had your, we call them the badder people. Um, if they can see a weak part, they're, they're trying to open you up to it. Well, would that be like trying the old tricks, like the slow count? And slow that sort count, of thing? yeah, yeah. Plus the uh, the bets which you you can't read. Right, so they're, they're a bit ambiguous. They have been in the time ambiguous bets, yeah. Mm. There have been in the time quite a few of those. So they tell. Um, would the would the machines, would they take away punters' money that would normally have been bet on the dogs or the football or the horses, or do you see a different type of person come in and play those? Yeah, you've got two different sets of machines. You've got what we call the fobs. Uh, which are miniature gambling machines. Roulette is, was the main feature on those. Then you've got the BGTs where you c people can put their money in the machines and bet on any sport. And it is taking money away from the counter in, in a way. Yeah, now you, you look very good for your age, I've got to say. Um, and considering you've worked in a, a shop with no windows and a closed door, of people smoking like trains for at least 40 of those years. I mean, sure, is the, the working environment's a lot better now. It, it is, although, having said that, I am a smoker. Uh, I suppose about every hour I pop out for a fag. Kids, if you're if watching this, you, you won't look like Tony <coughs> at 80 if you smoke. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay, Tony, I, I was a floor man, not a very good one, but my brain has worked out that if you're 80, and you've been in the game for uh, 55 years, you had probably, if you left school at 18 or 16, you had a few years. I was kicked out of school at 14. Well, you will tell us all about that, oh, and, then right. and then tell us where you went next. Uh, right. Um, my school days, I had a very good friend called uh, Phil, and he was also interested in gambling. I, I was interested in it because my dad liked a little pun every now and again. And we got together and uh, we took bets in the school playground there was a there, there were no betting shops then but uh penny bets hate me bets and uh for an interest and uh we took that's that's how i really got started or, or the interest in it when i went to work um i'd done seven years in print and um i became the firm's bookie uh people ran down to the department that I was working in, passed me on bets. And uh, they, they were only smallish bets, tanner bets, shilling bets. If I took two bob, I thought it was rich. 
And um, fortunately for me, we had a betting shop down the road. So if there's a, a multiple, like in those days, they're mostly Yankees, I could pop out, run down the road, look at the results, make sure everything was okay. That's how I really got into this, or the feeling of being into it. So when did you, did, so did you start working for Dick? I started from, the, Dick, from that um, business. After I worked in, I worked in the credit office for a year, and it was 1967 that I first started working for Dick. Right, so he didn't, he didn't realise that this little upstart was, was taking his business away from him and offer you a job to stop it, did he? <laughs> no, no, no. I can remember my first day of working for Dick, they placed me as a manager in Whitley Street, Reading, and I was working with a girl called Daphne, a lovely lady, and she said, this is your till, Tony, and she gave me money, check your money, and I put it in, and she stood over me, and next thing I, I felt a clip round the ear of. I said, oi, what are you doing? She said, Tony, it's your first day, I want all the notes the right way around, and that was a lesson to me. And even to today, at the, all my notes are heads out the right way round. And if people have a big bet to play it, well, it doesn't matter what it is. I make sure I count them with the notes the right way up. The girls think I'm old-fashioned. Well, I am bloody old-fashioned. I'm 80. <laughs> but they're, they're, it was a lesson learned. Now, you talk about lessons. You said that you got chucked out of school. Yeah. You've glossed over that bit. Why did they throw you out? Was it because of the bookmaking? That was part of it, yeah. They summoned my father and me up to the headmaster's office and it was decided that I would have to leave. I was 14 years of age and that was in the, I think it was April. Um, I was 15 in November and when I was 15, my father took me to, it was Simmons Brewery in those days and he got me a job in the accounts office. That's how I started my working years. For about, I think it was 10 bob a week. <laughs> okay, we can tell by your enthusiasm and from what you've told us that you thoroughly enjoy working in the industry, you've been in it all this time and you still love it. So would you recommend it to anybody that might be watching this now, you know, go and work in a betting shop? Absolutely. Although uh, when I first joined it, it was an absolutely different ball game, I would recommend this uh, position to anybody. What I would say to anybody coming into it, be honest with your employer em, employer, and keep your nose clean. That way you'll, you'll build up a good record and you'll always be employable. Right, now your, um, your colleagues, ladies. Ladies at work. Ladies listen. at work tell me that you're a bit of a, there's no filter with you and every day's like a carry on film. Now for the older viewers, <laughs> carry-on films were very British, slightly risque. Uh, so what, what do they mean by that? I think the main thing is, uh, within the betting shop, you can have a laugh with the girls and you can have a laugh with the customers, as long as it doesn't get too personal or you take it too far. But they are, I must say this, they're good fun to work with. They've helped me along a lot. They, they also tell me that your hobbies... Uh, horse racing in fillies but you're a happily married man so uh, <laughs> what 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 do you get you know in your spare time do you go racing do you, what do you you know as a hobby or is it hobby within work it's a hobby within work i used to go horse racing but i haven't been i took my wife i think it's three years ago to salisbury and we had a lovely day out uh but I, I, few and far between these days
okay now but you've got you've got 50 years in the industry more than 50 years in the industry any particular stories that you'd like to share with us that's that's happened in that time whether it be in a betting shop with a whippets on course we read about the lady would pull the money out from the yes, uh, big boobs there was one uh, we used to run the Grand Derby which was at Wakingham the Whippet Derby sorry and uh, there was one absolute brilliant Whippet and uh, the owner and all his friends they lived in Mitchum they came up from Mitchum and they really thought this Whippet was going to win and uh, well we filled the satchel up with their money on this Whippet and um the race began and he broke well and I thought, oh my God, what have we done here, Tone? We've done your bollocks. But it, it wasn't to be. Um, there was a, a little black whippet that came right through at the end and just put the, the back whippet on the post. Saved my bacon, saved my day and saved my fucking money. <laughs> no, that's it. So would there, were there enough other whippet meetings around to have graded uh, to have uh, open races and inter-track races that sort of thing there weren't actually but um <clears throat> people came from far and wide uh, down to wokingham um well basically from all over, all over the country they came from east anglia from the north uh, especially for the derby the whippet derby they, they all wanted to try and win it okay and any when you worked in the betting shops, what's the biggest sort of multiple or something somebody's had out for you? If you sort of an old lady that's come in and got three thirty-three to one shots, and <laughs> when I, I, I was on my own uh, or in partnership at Wallingford, a guy done a ten pence win Hines. His name was Ray. I can remember him today, and everyone won, and uh, it came to twelve thousand. Well, we had limits of ten. So when he came in the next day, I say, you do understand, Ray, that you get 10, not 12. And he did understand. It must have been, um, did you used to take the football bets on the coupons? Because that must have been quite hairy. Because even, you know, you can do 14 match accumulators, you lose your shop if one of those come in. But uh, I suppose you've got your limit there as well. Yeah, limits, yeah. In, in those days, everything seemed to be governed by limits. Or, or, and the, the other thing was, in the old days with bookmaking, I'm talking about Reading, you didn't see a, a major bookmaker. There were no Coles, Hills, Labrooks. They were all small independents, whether they had one shop or two shops or half a dozen shops. That's why people like Lewis Cowan and Dick Brunton, that they bought shops in, in the late, well, mid-60s. Yeah, now would you take... Would you take hedging money from other bookmakers in there? Would I hedge? Would, would you take hedging money from other bookmakers if they had something running up? Would you be quite happy to, to take it off of them with the phone ring and they say we've got a Yankee running? No, up? I didn't. But there were times when I phoned. I had a very good friend, Tony Milam, who uh, worked for Dick for years. He was uh, like a director, and if any bit was running up, I would always use Tony Milam and Dick Branton to hedge with. Okay, and of course the football, it's all being played at the same time, so there's no way you can hedge any of that. Exactly, yeah, yeah, very, very difficult. But in those days, football didn't seem so popular what it is now. Mm. And you say that, um, so you're 80 now, and you, you plan on dying on the job. So my last question <laughs> is going to be, how long do you plan on keep working in the industry? I mean, obviously it's not like a work for you, it's... Uh, 
Well, there are two things. For as long as Star Sports want me, and for as long as my brain will allow me to do the work, I know when it's time to get out. And you get out from, would you tell us where your shop is? It's in Woodley, which is a suburb of Reading. Okay, so anybody wants anybody passing through, wants a bet with Tony Laws, they know where to go. Well, not with me personally. You'll be betting with Star Sports, but you'll always be welcome. Brilliant. Well, Tony, thank you ever so much. Thank you very much. Thanks. New betting people interviews are published every week at Star Sports. Exclusive interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting. Check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk. Begambleaware.org. Over 18 only.